This is our second lesson on Christian tattoos, and we follow that up with a question mark as if to say Christian tattoos or Christian tattoos. It's all, it depends all upon the inflection, but we argue that there's no such thing as a Christian tattoo. And so those are becoming more and more popular now. And just because you tattoo it on your body doesn't make it Christian. I witnessed to a guy one time, a big football player at Tech about three years ago. He had a huge crucifix on his, on his bicep. And I said, hey, that's a, that's a cool tattoo. Is Jesus actually in your heart? Is he just tattooed on your arm? And that opened up a quick can of conversation. And he backed down really quick. And he, he was actually a very humble guy. And I didn't have to deal with him about tattoos. But isn't it amazing? The world teaches us to put it on the outside. But the Bible says put it on the inside. Amen. To write the word of God upon the tables of our heart. And so we're going to, last, last lesson we covered uh, the Old Testament in Leviticus chapter 19, which is the chapter used to dim- dis- diminish. Well, you can have tattoos. That's Old Testament. Don't mark your body. That's under the law. Well, the verse right after, don't mark yourself, it says, don't prostitute your daughter. Don't fellowship with sorcerers and necromancers. Don't have anything to do with astrology. I don't think we're free to do that. So we explained and, and, uh, and elaborated upon all that last week. Plus, Leviticus 19 is where the Bible also says, love your neighbor as yourself. Anybody ever heard of any Messiah that quoted that verse? And so we kind of debunk that. But again, in, in teaching this lesson, if you have any tattoos, no condemnation, your tattoos don't bother me. They don't bother God. Just repent of them. As I like to say, we've all got scars. They just look differently. Uh, some scars are emotional. God heals us of them. Some scars are physical. Some scars are part of the past. And we just repent and don't go back anymore. You know, some of our leadership around here has tattoos from a rebellious stage of life. It won't keep you from being used. Just don't go get anymore. So I want to make these arguments here just to prevent Who would have thought 50 years ago we'd have to teach on this? But I want to teach these lessons and make this argument so that young people, or even nowadays we got grandmas tattooing themselves. Uh, we got all sorts of Christians and ministers tattooing themselves. One of my friends, a traveling minister, said, honestly, now 60 to 70% of the churches we go to, leadership is actively tattooing themselves in America. Spirit-filled circles. He said 60 to 70% of the churches we go to and minister, the leadership, not the young people, the leadership are getting tattoos. So we want to jump into this. We looked at the Old Testament argument or law against it, and now we want to understand it from the New Testament for those that still don't understand how we're still not free from the law. Jesus didn't, said, I didn't do away with it, I came to fulfill it. And again, there's 613 laws under the Old Testament, there's 1,050 in the New Testament. So we're actually under more law now. The Old Testament says don't commit adultery. Jesus said, if you think about it, you're guilty. We're a little bit stricter in the New Testament. And it all helps us to be holy and please our God. Amen. So do you have the right? That's the title of this lesson. Do you have the right as a Christian? In America, we think we have the right to do anything we want. And that's a great deception. I guess we should also add you have the right to go to hell if you want. You have the right to deny Christ if you want. So technically, I guess you do have the right, but not and call yourself in right standing with God Almighty. And again, we're not teaching this to condemn anybody who has tattoos. Some of you may have them. I know nothing about them. 
I just want to come at this for those that are thinking about new ones or they've listened to the heresy that says God doesn't have a problem with them and if they make you feel beautiful. One famous minister in America, a female, she said, I don't see a problem with tattoos. If they make you feel beautiful, what's any difference between that and say makeup or a dress? All right, lady. In fact, she said, I may go get one. I'm like, you're way too old and wrinkly to be getting tattoos. <laughs> it might be one of those pieces of art where you stretch the skin and it becomes something different. And you let the skin go and it comes something. <laughs> you know, here it looks like a duck. There it looks like a humpback whale. <laughs> one common misconception propagated by the spirit of the world and the heathen is this. Your body is your own to do with as you please. That's the whole abortion argument. This is my body. might be your body, but it's not your baby. A baby is its own entity. Anyway, the lie, this lie feeds the sins of fornication, abortions, and body vandalism. This lie, this is my body, it feeds two of the most heinous sins possible, fornication, abortion, and tattoos. That's the third one. This is my body. I can do with it what I want to. Well, we're all Bible taught disciples in here. We know that our body is not our own. Anybody think of a verse about being bought with a price? You're not your own, therefore glorify God with your body and your spirit. Amen. This life feeds the sins of fornication, abortions, and what I call body vandalism. Biblically, your body belongs to God, and it is to be a living sacrifice. So if you want something really, really bad, but God says you can't have it, you sacrifice. And you can actually make living sacrifices out of your temptations. Part of living for God is you're always putting your flesh under and denying it. And that becomes a sacrifice. Giving God what you don't want to, but he wants it. And you say, Lord, not my will, but your will be done. Part of the tattoo culture is this do as you will. Do as you please. Who's, who is to tell you what to do? Well, if, if you're a Christian, you have a God who is to tell you what to do. And we, as, as Matthew 24 tells us, we're living in the day of lawlessness. Lawlessness shall abound. And lawlessness doesn't just mean uh, total anarchy, because even the anarchists, when they riot, they obey some laws. But lawlessness, the heart and attitude behind lawlessness is, I'm going to obey the laws I want to, and the ones I don't want to, who are you to tell me to obey them? That's lawlessness. And we all have a little bit of it in our life. We'll obey as much of God as we want, and what we don't, we don't obey. That's lawless. Again, when they riot or loot, you know, it's Mardi Gras. I'm from Louisiana. Mardi Gras is lawlessness, but it, it's not total lawlessness. They, they only drink in certain parts of the French Quarter. They know not to hit the police horses. <laughs> they know not to throw stuff through the window. So it's, it's, a, it's a controlled amount of lawlessness, and that's how most folks operate. Christians who are lawless, they still want everybody else to follow laws that benefit them. They just don't want to follow laws they don't want to follow. And when you don't think certain rules apply to you, you are lawless. And that's the spirit of the world. That's one of the fruit of the world spirit. We're called to be submitted to the law of God, the perfect law of liberty, uh, the, the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus. We're so called to be submitted. We're not reprobates or rebels. That's the spirit of Antichrist. Second Thessalonians calls it the mystery of inequity, the mystery of lawlessness that even does now work in the children of men. We have to make sure we are not lawless people. And so this whole thing, it's my body, I'll do with it what I want to, that actually is lawlessness, 
And it actually is right in line with the first satanic principle out of the satanic Bible, which says, do as you will. As Christians, we don't do as we will. We do as God wills. And that's what makes us stronger Christians. Amen. Your body's not your own. Let's look at some verses here just to build this case, though I'm sure we're all very familiar with these verses. 1 Corinthians 6, 19 and 20. What? <laughs> and Paul's like, what? I don't know how he said it in his tone. I like to read it. What? Are you guys this foolish? Of course, we know the Corinthians was a very sensual, carnal church. What? Know you not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you, which you have of God, and you are not your own? You didn't know that? Did I forget to teach you that? Did any of my disciples that I sent, did they not teach you that? Of course they did. They were just acting like they didn't want to listen to it. And sometimes we get that way. We've heard it a thousand times. Oh, it applies to me? Yes, if the Lord's teaching it to us, it applies to us. For you are bought with a price, therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, or that would be, we could also translate that attitude, which are God's. Uh, the spirit, there's pneuma, it means spirit, Holy Spirit, demon spirit, spirit of man, and also mental disposition. We ought to glorify God with our attitude. When you have a bad attitude, you don't glorify God. The word attitude is not used in the Bible because it's a modern term. It's a modern English, American English term. You go back and um, you look at uh, Webster's 1828 dictionary. They use the terms constitution or disposition to describe attitude. Our modern usage of attitude has evolved. But this word pneuma relates to a mental disposition or an attitude. We know we got to have a good attitude. What's your attitude towards tattoos? What's your attitude about your body? Is it yours or is it God's? Our attitude ought to be what the Bible says. It's God's. And so, Lord, here's my body, a living sacrifice. How, how can I please you with my body? Amen. 1 Corinthians 3, 16 and 17. Know you not that you are the temple of God. Now, here we make it, uh, Paul makes it even more personal. Your body is a temple. Even the world says that. And they have, you know, cliches. It's a temple, but I treat it like a shack. Or it's a temple, but I decorate it like gypsies. You know, they have all these, they, even the world recognizes your body is a temple. We just know it's God's temple. And that the Spirit of God dwells in you. If any man defile or destroy the temple of God, him shall God destroy. For the temple of God is holy, which temple you are. Your body is holy because God dwells in Now, we know we have a sin nature. And as Paul said in Romans 7 there, I find that a law when I would do good, evil is present with me. That's the sin nature. But the fact that God dwells there makes it holy. And that ought to be a constant reminder, a constant truth coursing through our soul. My body's holy. I should present it holy. I should carry it holy on the job. I should carry it holy in the classroom. There should be a distinction between me and the world around me. I shouldn't dress like the world. I shouldn't look like the world. I shouldn't act like the world. I should be separate from the world because my body's holy and their body is cursed. It's only holy, though, because God dwells in it. Nothing was holy about Moses' temple or tabernacle. It was just cloth. It was just poles. It was just gold. It was holy, though, because God dwelt there. Nothing holy about Solomon's temple except that God dwelt there. And when Antiochus Epiphanes, he was the first fulfillment of the Antichrist from Daniel, he came around in the time of the Maccabees. He sacrificed the pig on the altar. He defiled the temple. It was no longer holy, and God left there. It's just a building. Your body's just a body, but because God dwells in you, that makes it holy. And if it is holy, then it should look holy. You should present it holy. 
There should be a difference between you and the heathens who are possessed of demons. Amen. If the heathens are doing it, you shouldn't do it. If the heathens dress that way, you shouldn't dress that way. If the heathens take pride in it, you should take shame in it. Amen. You should expect a little bit better response because you guys are, uh, you guys are beautiful, sweet-smelling, sweet-acting Christians. I should be preaching to the choir this morning unless... Dr. James is thinking about getting a tattoo or something. Dr. James. No, all right, praise the Lord. <laughs> he was telling me, he, of course, he's a dentist. He said he had some boy in there nervous about getting a shot in his gums, but he's covered in tattoos, which is needles. You're afraid of one little Novocaine shot, and yet you'll let your whole body be pierced with billions of pinpricks. It just doesn't make any sense. Well, I don't do it with my mouth. <laughs> Vandalism is defined as deliberate destruction or damage to public or private property. Well, I've never heard anybody teach tattooing as vandalism. I think it's something the Lord gave me a couple years ago when we produced that video. Even today, vandalism is an offense punishable by the courts of law. Art without permission is vandalism, right? You want anybody to draw something on the side of your house? Even kids get permission to do the chalk art in the driveway, right? And they don't have permission to do crayon art on the walls. And then they had to come along and invent washable paint because the paint companies realize American parents are killing their kids over unauthorized crayon art in the kitchen. <laughs> Our bodies are God's sanctuary. Our bodies are God's temple. And if we graffiti it without his permission, it is tantamount to temple graffiti. And I'll tell you, we don't have his permission. And you'll never get it. Now, there are always exceptions. Somebody was telling me, I think it was in Egypt, one of the North African countries, uh, the Christians actually tattoo a cross right here on their wrist to say, we are Christians. We're not Muslims. I, I would say in my judgment of the heart of this, I don't believe that's temple graffiti because that's a death sentence. Now, it's not biblical. We don't have an epistle doctrine for it, but they're doing it to make a distinction between everybody else, and they're not ashamed to. And you know how it is in the Muslim countries. You Christian, you, your life's going to get a lot worse. And so there might be the exception like that. In America, we don't tattoo for that reason. We tattoo to be like the heathens. We tattoo because we're tired of looking like a Christian. We tattoo because we want to be accepted by the world. They tattoo a little cross right here because we don't want to be mistaken for Muslims. A little bit, a lot of bit, heart motivation change. Amen. His court of law, if we, if we commit temple vandalism, his court of law will have plenty to say about it. So let's look at the heart behind tattoos. I, I have to deal with this from the American perspective because that's where we pastor and that's where it's really become an, a pandemic here lately in the church. You know, the heathen will always do weird things. Ten years ago, I was serving in a church in Indianapolis and a young, uh, well, he's probably older than me, but he was a young man. Uh, he came to our uh, Christmas service and um, he had tattoos coming up his neck and he had a long sleeve shirt on and he had tattoos coming down his hands. This is 10 years ago. This has been 2004, 2005. 
and his ears had been super gauged out, but he had taken them out, and now they, were, they looked like the sun-dried apples. That's what they've always looked like to me, or the gummy worms. And so, you know, 10 years ago, that was very odd. Now it's very common. But I, I was a greeter, so I welcomed him into the church, and, and so I was helping him find a place, and we got to talking, and he made reference to it because he could tell maybe it was catching my eye, and I really didn't, I didn't bother me. He said, I got saved. And he said, there's nothing I can do about this now. And you could tell he regretted every bit of it. He said, I can have my ears trimmed. He said, but he said, I am covered. And there's nothing I can do. And God will just have to do something. But you realize, he said, I did all this before I knew God. And now he was covering it up out of shame. And there was no condemnation, but he understood what he looked like. But he came to Christ and realized how dirty it was. What's going on where we have worship leaders who are supposed to be born-again, blood-bought, spirit-filled, and they're marching that direction that this guy just came from? He came to Christ and realized how filthy it was and is ashamed, but is looking to serve God. We got folks that have been raised in the church, used of God, and they're purposely steering the direction the heathen are running from. It's like the Titanic sinking, and you're running in the direction the rats are coming from. You know, the rats move away from where the water is, and we got Christians running towards the cold water, because there's freedom there, right? It makes no sense to me. So let's look at the heart. Why do people do this? Lust and insecurity, the heart of the issue. 2 Timothy 2, 21, 22. If a man therefore purge himself from these, that's a reference to dishonorable people in the kingdom, these dishonorable vessels, he shall be a vessel unto honor. And this talks about the Bible controlling who you run with, even in the church. The previous verses say, in a great house, there are many vessels, and some to honor and some to dishonor. If a man, therefore, will purge himself from these, these dishonorable vessels, you'll become an honorable vessel. Even in God's kingdom, there are Christians who are dishonorable vessels. Didn't say about dishonorable hearts. Didn't say dishonorable attitudes. Dishonorable vessels. Bodies. And he says, you've got to purge yourself from their influence. There is a spiritual law. You'll become what you look at. Fashion changes. You change your fashion because everybody around you looks at everybody around you and it changes. Amen. That's, go back and look at pictures from 10 years ago and you'll say, I wore that? It looked normal 10 years ago. Everybody was wearing that and you became what you beheld. Amen. Even your hairstyles. Ladies, you know, their hairstyles changes the most. But it's because everybody's looking at everybody and we're slowly shifting in one direction or the other. And there's neither here nor there to that. He shall be a vessel unto honor, sanctified, that means set apart in good, meat, or proper for the master's use, prepared unto every good work. Flee also youthful lusts. Notice that Paul is telling Timothy the pastor about teaching and himself fleeing youthful lusts in reference to getting away from people who would influence you. Follow righteousness, follow faith, follow agape, follow peace, follow with them that call on the Lord out of a pure heart. The whole context is who you run with. Instead of following youthful lusts, follow after all these things along with those that call on the Lord out of a pure heart. Apparently, again, in the church, there's people that don't have pure hearts. The whole context is a great house. And God's house is a great house, but not everybody in it is so great. <laughs> Trust me, I pastor. 
So let's look at the context of this or the, the interpretation. The context of this passage is what kind of Christians are in the house of God. According to Paul, there are only two types of vessels in the church, vessels of honor and vessels of dishonor. We want to make sure we honor Jesus Christ with everything. Paul states, if you want to be a vessel of honor, then you must purge yourself from the dishonorable or dirty vessels. We saw that we've been teaching on the gainsaying of Korah. He was a dishonorable vessel, and the Lord said, move away from him. There's all sorts of biblical precedent in the Old Testament and the New Testament to be careful who you run with, even in the church. In fact, there's six New Testament reasons to excommunicate. And most of them, when you explain what they are in Romans or Thessalonians or Timothy or Titus or Thessalonians, they talk about have no company with them. Have no fellowship with them. Don't even eat, Corinthians 5, don't even eat with them. This is talking about moving away from people in the church. Paul usually follow up by saying that they might be ashamed. But don't count them as an enemy, but a brother, admonish them as a brother. So you don't cut them off, but you got to say, look, dude, that's not acceptable. And you end up enforcing a spiritual peer pressure on them. If you want to have fellowship with the saints, you got to come up with us. Because the kingdom of God and the body of Christ is always moving up. You know, we, we say, come as you are, but leave better. You, you know, you, you start off in a sport or a classroom, you come as you are, ignorant, unlearned. Un, unathletic, but by the time the semester's over, you're smarter, you're more athletic, you've got a skill set. Well, how foolish would it be to go to a classroom and purposely get nothing out of it? I did judo for years. How stupid would it be to go to judo for years and get nothing out of it? And yet Christians come to church and get nothing out of it. In fact, they go to church. I was almost like they're operatives of the devil. They go to church to try to pull Christians down. Doing judo, you, I, like I go there, try to talk people out of doing judo. Oh, you don't want to do throwing. You don't want to do takedowns. Don't worry about those wrist releases. Let's just go back here and smoke some pot in the changing room. That doesn't happen in the world, but it happens in the church. <laughs> yeah, Lord help us. Paul states, if you want to be a vessel of honor, then you must purge your life from the dishonorable or dirty vessels. This means you get the dirty Christians out of your life. This leads into verse 22. Paul is basically saying, flee dirty Christians. Then he says, flee also youthful lusts. So what is youthful lust? Not all lust is sexual. The Greek word is also used to describe your, the desire you and I should have for spiritual gifts. Desire earnestly the best gifts. That's the word lust. Jesus said to the disciples, I have longed earnestly to eat this meal with you. It's the word lust about the Last Supper. So lust is just a very strong, vehement desire. But apparently young people have a certain flavor of these strong desires. And that's the very kind of desire that Paul, through the Holy Spirit, said, flee. And the one thing I've learned, the one thing all young people lust after is acceptance. And they'll compromise anything and everything their mom and dad taught them and the Bible teaches them to be accepted by the people they run with. So the best thing to do is get around folks that accept the same things that the Bible accepts. And then you don't have to give in to youthful lust. Amen. Youthful lust isn't just sex. What is the one thing all young people long for? Acceptance. To be judged or deemed as cool. How many of us did something stupid in the name of cool? Yeah. Every one of us should like lay on our back and put all of our limbs up. 
<laughs> That's a youthful lust. Amen. Youthful lust isn't the, is, is, excuse me, youthful lust is, a, is the desire to be unique and individual. And yet I find that everybody that desires to be unique and individual looks like, just like the people they run with. The desire to be accepted is the, is the reason young people will smoke, fornicate, pierce themselves, and tattoo themselves, etc. This strong desire to be accepted is what drives immature people to be cool, to be accepted, to make a statement, and to rebel. You can be 70 years old and eat up with youthful lust. We're supposed to desire not the acceptance of people, but God's acceptance. Colossians says we're already accepted in the beloved. So if we can solidify that in our heart, that we're accepted in Christ, we don't have to worry about impressing anybody else. What do I care what Greg thinks with God? I should care what God thinks. Who cares if you think I'm cool? What I want to know is that God thinks I'm cool. Who cares if you like my sermon? Did God like my sermon? Who cares what you think how I dress? Is God pleased with how I'm dressed? I think we understand this, but we're, we're kind of trying to look at here why people get the tattoos that they get. Tattoos as a stumbling block. Here's another reason why we don't get them. We're just kind of going through some New Testament reasons why we're not going to pierce or tattoo ourselves in these odd places. In these odd ways. 1 Corinthians 8, 9, and 13. But take heed, lest by any means this liberty of yours become a stumbling block to them that are weak. Therefore, if meat or tattoos make my brother to offend or stumble, I will eat no flesh or tattoos while the world stands, lest I make my brother to offend or stumble. Paul said he brought it down to something as simple as food. If food offends my brother, I'm not going to eat it as long as the world stands. And this was in reference to meat offered unto idols, which we knew meant nothing, because he said the idols nothing, the offerings nothing, but to the heathen sacrifice, the sacrifice unto devils, and I would not that any of you have fellowship with demons. He said, if it caused you to stumble, I'll go hungry. I'll become a vegetarian. That's the heart we ought to have. I've often said, if, my, if the culture shifts and a shaved head is offensive and becomes tied to neo-Nazism, I'll grow my hair out. And some of you baldies would too, which means you'd have this beautiful mullet in the back. And you do it for Jesus. And maybe we could tie a little ribbon in the back like the founding fathers. <laughs> maybe we just call you wispy. <laughs> the Greek word for offend here is scandalizo. And this is where we get our word scandal or scandalous. So when you call somebody to offend or question or stumble, you're producing a scandal in the spirit realm. You're producing a scandal in the body of Christ. This is where we get the word uh, scandal or scandalous. This word means to cause to trip. Can you imagine somebody running and you just put your foot out there just to make them trip? This is the attitude behind so many people in the body of Christ. Christians are running towards Jesus and they just stand along the sidelines and purposely trip them. And then make fun of them because they have something against tattoos. How is that the love of God? To entice to sin. So sometimes doing this, you're actually enticing people to do what they're already struggling with. To cause a person to distrust and desert one whom he ought to trust and obey. They know they ought to trust and obey God, but you're giving them an excuse as a leader in the body of Christ, or perhaps a, a mature saint. They'll say this, well, if, if Alan does it, you know, he serves God. If Jeff does it, well, you know, he's over the jail ministry. If Brother Robert's doing it, I mean, you know, Brother Robert's been preaching in the prisons for 25 years, been to Africa like 100 times. I mean, God's using them. I guess it's okay. You just produced a scandal, a trap. 
A baby Christian was just running towards Jesus and you just stuck your foot out. Now, Lydia gets spanked when she trips her little sister because daddy and mommy are not pleased with that. Some Christians don't just trip. They're pushing people down through their attitude and their defiance. This all comes back to the heart, every bit of it. To see in another, this word scandal means to see in another what I disapprove of and what hinders me from acknowledging their authority. So like if I were to start getting tattoos, it would produce such a scandal in you, it would cause you to see in me what you disapprove of and cause you to question my authority. It would produce confusion. And God is not the author of that. Folks, we don't have a right. If we're called to preach the gospel, and we are, we must go in and, and remove any hindrance to people receiving the gospel. Paul said, yet we're still under the law of Christ, so we don't, there's certain things we cannot violate. Pastor Ingall from Germany said before he could preach in Hungary, he had to grow a mustache because they would not receive him without a mustache. I'll grow a mustache if I can preach in Budapest. Dr. Sumrall said to preach to the Church of England, he had to wear one of those long black robes with a collar. He said, I'll stand on my head if you'll let me preach to, to your church. I don't care what it takes. See, the problem in modern America is we're not willing to do what it takes to preach the gospel. We want to live the way we want to live and be like the world and yet have a, quote, ministry. And that ain't going to fly. Uh, the late Kenneth Hagin said, the things of God still cost what they've always cost. Do you know God isn't discounting his presence? to try to sell it. If it doesn't sell, it's not his problem. He's not going to mark it down and give coupons or, or half off Monday. Or now it's, you know, what is that? Buy one, get one free. Buy, buy go, yeah. Bogo, yeah, buy one, get one. Uh, he's not going to do any of that. If it doesn't sell, it's not his problem. If people don't want him, it's not his problem. If, if we don't want him, it doesn't move him. He's the self-sufficient one. It's our loss. Amen. This man, God Almighty, is not a man. He, he fired his worship leader and sent him to hell in a third of his cohorts. Didn't, didn't even bat an eye at it. Just said, done. Where shall we start over? God, through the Old Testament, shows his propensity and his desire to start over. Over and over again. Amen. So let's see. These definitions of scandal of causing baby Christians to stumble. These definitions definitely describe the effect tattoos have in the church today. When, when leadership starts tattooing, when Christians start tattooing, it produces confusion and it starts to cause baby Christians to trip. When we first pastored, started pastoring, you, you guys, some of you know my wife had a little tattoo on her ankle. I think I told this story last time. She got it at the age of 17. She had to rebel against mom and dad. She had to sneak across state lines from Indiana down to Kentucky. Apparently, Kentucky will tattoo anything. Sneak down into Kentucky, pay 75 bucks, and get a little palm tree. Why a palm tree? Who knows? Because she liked Florida, I suppose. Lived, she lived in Florida for a, a season in her teenage years. And so as a rebellious before my wife was saved, she got a tattoo. So, you know, what do you do? You go on and serve God, get spirit-filled, get water baptized, serve at a, 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 a pregnancy crisis center and serve in your local church. And next thing you know, you're a pastor's wife and you still have a little tattoo on your ankle. And the little girls in our church, it was tearing them up that Mrs. Manda had a tattoo when we know that isn't right. That tore my wife's heart up. She didn't say, those little girls will grow up one day and realize there's no condemnation. They should suck it up. No, my wife said, 
what do we do? I said, cover it. Band-aid it. You know, we still got companies that require you to do that. And so we prayed and believed God for it to disappear and prayed and believed God. And it just wasn't happening fast enough. And I believe God does remove tattoos supernaturally. So let's drop some money and have it lasered off because they do that now. So $1,000 and two years later, we removed a $75 thumb-sized tattoo. It would have been more expensive, but they burned her so bad the first round, we got a whole bunch of free sessions with the laser. Because when you have a tattoo removed, the doctor has to rent the laser. That's the expensive part, whether it's a five-minute session or a 45-minute session, depending on how big your tattoo is. They burned her so bad the first round, they gave her a bunch of free ones. So it it would have been more like $2,000, because insurance doesn't exactly cover that kind of stuff, because it's cosmetic. Because that's what mature people do. They don't want to cause Christians to stumble. My rights are not more important than your rights. I have a right to, to exalt you in Christ, to edify you in Christ, to encourage you in Christ. And if anything I'm doing doesn't do that and I find out about it, I better change it. Because I'm the mature one. Mature people accommodate to help the less mature. Right? All right. These definitions definitely describe the effect of tattooing in the church today. Would a pure and clean Christian be involved in anything scandalous if they knew it was scandalous? No. Scandals are for heathen politicians, (laughs) actors, musicians, and such like. That's what scandals are for. Uh, We've all been scandalous in our selfish way. Hopefully we're growing up out of that, though. Hopefully we can recognize as mature saints we're called to care for the babes in Christ. We're called to look to them, to encourage them. The kingdom of God is supposed to be self-perpetuating. We grow up because somebody invested in us and was selfless, and now that we're at a certain level, we look down at the newbies, and we bring them up in Christ, and we encourage them, and we teach them right from wrong because they're looking up to us whether we realize it or not. Amen. Matthew eighteen six. But whosoever shall offend, scandalizo, there's our word for scandal. Whosoever shall produce a scandal in the insides of one of these little ones, which, believe in me, it were better for him that a millstone were hanged about his neck and that he were drowned in the depth of the sea. Well, there's that nicer than Jesus again. Jesus talking about killing people by drowning them. And he said, you do anything to cause one of my baby believers to stumble, it would be better for you, maybe on the judgment day, that you were drowned today with a millstone. We've shown you pictures of millstones. They weigh four and 500 pounds. Massive, solid rock. And, you know, you tie one of those around your neck, ain't nobody treading water. You're going down and going glove, glove. So, may, I don't know, maybe I'm sure some Christian somewhere probably tattooed a millstone around their neck. Say, I already beat you to it, Jesus, with all the attitude in the world. <laughs> Amen. Again, no condemnation. If you got them, you just say, Lord, forgive me. That was, that was foolish. Just Foolish. Forgive me. And he will. And move on. Here Jesus states, if your lifestyle or choices as a believer in Jesus Christ cause another believer in Jesus Christ to go astray or sin, then it would be better for you if you were to be drowned in the sea. What kind of merciful Savior starts talking about drowning you so that a baby's not hurt? That's God. These things help build the nature of Christ. These things help develop our image of who he is and how he views things. 2 Thessalonians 5.22, abstain from all appearance of evil. Now, again, we did a lot of research years ago, and we showed you that uh, all that tattooing and body-modifying effects, it all came from pagan religions in the third world. 
whether it was the tribes of Nepal, the tribes of Africa, the tribes of China, the Hindus worshiping their demons, the tribes of the Aztec and the South and Central Americans, all of it is pagan in origin. And then I, we made the joke, and, and now we bring it to you, middle-class Christian America, to put on your worship team. Stuff that originated in demon worship services is now common on worship teams. Think about what the devil is doing. It never comes as a bulldozer. It always comes very subtle, just slithering in. Amen. What is the atmosphere of a tattoo parlor? Think about that. To get a tattoo, you've got to go to a tattoo parlor. What is the appearance of a tattoo parlor? Because Jesus says through the Apostle Paul to the Thessalonians, abstain from the appearance of evil. What is the atmosphere of a tattoo parlor? Who had what tattooed where on them before you sat in that chair? Who had what pierced in the chair before you laid back to get inked? Don't forget you're spending God's resources on this tattoo. And what's going through the mind of the man or the woman tattooing you as they're touching your flesh? Having you pull this up or pull that down or pull this over or what have you. Do we ever think this nitty gritty? That that's God's daughter going in there and laying back in that chair to let some other weirdo touch her like a doctor with gloves revealing flesh. I think about this stuff. I suppose I'm supposed to because I'm a pastor. <laughs> what is the spiritual condition of the man who's about to touch you and what, is he do what was he doing last night? Yeah. Yeah. Self-control. It's still a fruit of the Spirit. Did you know that? Lay's Potato Chips has a slogan, bet you can't eat just one. If you have self-control, you can win that bet every time. It seems this maxim holds true for tattoos. Many have testified how addictive they are. When I was doing that, when we were producing that video a couple years ago, um, it spent, we spent several weeks studying it, researching it, and pulling the art. In the, the last thing you want to do on Google is search tattoos because you see very pornographic stuff. And so it was a very difficult project. But it, it took several weeks, probably anywhere between, I don't remember now, six, eight, ten weeks to do the whole project. And then Michael edited it for several weeks. So going throughout this project and doing all the research on the origins of scarification and body modifying and plating and gauging and needles through your nose and all this weird stuff. I was praying one morning. This is before we had the girls because I was in what was going to be the nursery. I was praying one morning and the Lord spoke to me and he said, have you noticed in your studies that these pagan tribes, they only do one or two of these body modifying things? And I said, yes, sir. And he said, have you noticed when it comes to your country, your people do it all? And I said, I, he's asking me, which means I don't know. I haven't, you know, if I'd, if I'd observed that, he wouldn't be asking me. And I said, no, Lord, I hadn't observed that. And then he spoke to me of this section. He said, they lack self-control. They become addicted. And so you stop to think about it. You never find somebody with just gauges. They're gauge and tattooed everywhere. Amen. You don't ever find somebody with just a nose stud or just a lip ring or just a, you know, or they got tattoos someplace. And you never find somebody with just one tattoo unless they were in World War II and it says Navy Mom on it. 
Nobody just has one. And if folks get two ear piercings, it's going to be three, four, five, six, and before long their ears look like lesbian ears. There's something spiritual to this. In other religions we covered last week, sometimes piercing and, and uh, tattooing is involved in their worship of their demon deities, like the Tibetan monks. In other cultures, it's very much a sexual fetish because of the pain that's inflicted. I can't believe we're having to teach this to the church, but I travel. I got friends who are on worship teams who are getting tattoos, and I just think... You and I aren't worshiping with the same spirit because the, the Holy Spirit that comes into my services forbids this. And your spirit's telling you you're okay to do this? That might be a familiar spirit. I don't care how you sing about Jesus. Amen. But the fruit of the spirit is love, temperance, self-control or restraint. Against such there is no law. One of the fruit or evidences of the Holy Spirit working in your life is self-restraint. You can restrain self, flesh, cravings, desires. The Holy Spirit will anoint you to control your flesh. Anyone given over to tattooing demonstrates an obvious lack of self-restraint, or we might even say an obvious lack of the work of the Holy Spirit in their life in this area. We won't say their life, period, but in this area. Amen. I told you last week when I was 18 and rebellious, having come out of Seattle, I wanted to get a tribal band on my left arm and I wanted to get a zipper on my scar here. And when I got back right with God, those, those wants went away. When I repented and said, Lord, forgive me for being a backslidden Baptist, those desires went away. I picked up those desires being angry at God. I became carnal when I got mad at God. I became worldly when I got mad at God. I, I, I uh, you got rebellious in high school and my, part of my freshman year in college. And so when you don't fellowship with God, the spirit of the world influences you. But then you get back in fellowship with God, you cut off the influence of the spirit of the world and those wants just dry up. Amen. New Testament scriptures erroneously offered as support for tattoos. I've heard all of these. I, I just want to slap people. I want to say you are this ignorant. Whatever Sunday school you went in, did you know justice? Or maybe you were just really shaming them. Because even our five-year-olds can tell you this is dumb right here. Christians who want to sin will always find a biblical justification. All the pastors could acknowledge that. Yeah. Jesus had piercings, I've heard. Huh. Really? Those kind of piercings you're saying. If you want Jesus-type piercings, you need to have railroad spikes driven into your hands and feet, and you need to have a, a spear pierce your side through your diaphragm, lung, and into your heart, if you want Jesus-type piercings. But I've heard Christian churches use that as an, an excuse to get piercings. If I've got a minute or two left, I'll tell you why we don't make a big deal out of like, the little studs the ladies have. Because everybody asks, well, what about just these little studs? I'll get to that. Jesus had his name written on his thigh. I've heard that one. Revelation talks about his name upon his inner thigh. It was a tattoo. Out of his mouth goes a two-edged sword. Will we start sword swallowing as well? We're talking about a revelation of heaven in the future. Do you really think it's a tattoo glowing on his thigh? Or do you think maybe there's something more allegorical going on there? 
Paul, Paul bore in his body the marks of the Lord. In Galatians 6, 17, these marks are stigmata, which is a demonic experience in modern times, but it's a Greek word, are references to the literal f- flesh branding or flesh carving a master would inflict on his slave. The slave could also be branded by having a metal collar welded around his neck. This collar would have the owner's name inscribed upon it. This is all Roman history. This is what the word stigmata refers to. We understand Paul to speak of the scars his body had incurred for preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. These scars of persecution were a natural outward proof Paul belonged to Jesus Christ. Many pagans have Christian symbols tattooed on their flesh, proving nothing. Paul bore the marks, so I should have marks. Uh, Okay, let's whip you like he was whipped. Let's beat you with rods like he was beaten. Let's stone you with stones and toss you out of the city like he was. If you want his marks, that's what he's talking about. Or we could literally weld a collar around your neck and probably produce a third-degree burn from the hot heat of the iron. This, this means nothing. How many pagans have crosses tattooed on them or even scriptures tattooed on them? It means nothing. Wherefore, come out from among them and be you separate, says the Lord, and touch not the unclean thing, and I will receive you and will be a father unto you, and you shall be my sons and daughters, says the Lord God Almighty. Come out from among them. Again, if you have tattoos or scars or piercings, no condemnation. I don't care. It doesn't bother me a bit. But we don't practice that anymore. We've all got a sinful past, and the scars that those have produced are different. The tattooing engaging thing is just a modern example of the season you serve the devil. What we're saying is, stop. If you want to believe God for a miracle that those things go away, have your ears, we don't have anybody with gauges that we've had folks visit, have your ears trimmed up so they don't hang down and, and look a foolish like that. But there's no condemnation. But it's a shame in this day and age, we've got to talk Christians into being Christians and show it from the word of God. Now concerning just regular ear piercings, the reason we don't make a big deal out of that is that nobody does that in rebellion. It's just a way people beautify themselves. It's, it's no big deal. Now, if it were a big deal, we wouldn't do it. In Africa, the Africans do not pierce their ears. But in certain parts of Uganda, they do the, the little children because it blemishes their body so they won't be kidnapped for child sacrifice. So we've been in places in Uganda where nobody has ear piercings because it's against their kind of Christian culture, but the little children have started having their ears pierced, violating their Christian culture. But it's because they live in parts of East uh, Uganda where the witches kidnap babies and sacrifice them alive to demons but if the babies have their ears pierced they won't touch them because they're blemished so they're doing it to prevent death i'll pierce anything to prevent death amen so a lot of this comes back to culture and the heart of rebellion but some of it and hopefully you can understand that i'm out of time but you know just just one earring uh, guys don't do it because the homosexuals started that in the 70s when I was in the 90s and all the guys started getting it, it was left is right, right is wrong. So if you get it on the left side, you're not a homosexual. Michael Jordan had his on the left side. Everybody else wanted it. But if you had it on the right side, you were George Michael, different kind of Michael. He was a homosexual. And then they moved to both ears. And uh, yeah, I, I actually, I did pierce my left ear once with a, a safety pin. I was 17. And I did it because I was mad at God, and that's what heathens do when they're mad at God, or backslidden Baptist boys. And the next day, I broke my leg so severely, I almost never walked again. And I said, that's a sign. <laughs> that is stupid. 
And I remember being laid up in the hospital and my mom was, you know, she's nervous and they got my leg cut open and I'm, they're talking about taking my leg off and like not to put it back on, but just to take it off permanently. And she's holding my hand and she said, did you pierce your ear, son? Yeah. With what? A safety pin. Did you at least use an ice cube? You can do that? (laughs) Lord, help us all. Hopefully you've been helped here. I'm out of time. I'm way out of time. And we didn't so much preach this for you because you guys are solid Christians, but for the future. Father, bless our Sunday school. Bless this pod school as we put it on the internet. Let young people hear it. Let them be encouraged by it. And let them prevent shame and regret later. Father, for those that have tattoos, let them realize there's no condemnation. Just don't do it anymore. Just repent. Say, Lord, that's dumb, and now I get to look at it for a long time unless you do something. Father, we thank you for your mercy, your forgiveness, but may we come out from among the heathen and their lifestyles. May we be separate and clean and glorify you. In Jesus' name, amen.